All right, welcome back, everybody. I'll be your deep-voiced host, John, with a cold today. I'm joined <laughs> by Mr. Anthony Agati, flexing his Eagles gear for those. Oh yeah, YouTube. big win, big win. <laughs> Jalen Hurts is the future. I yeah. uh, had my doubts, and I went last night and bought a Jalen Hurts jersey. Just, <laughs> I was so impressed. He showed me everything I needed. I went and in one one fell swoop. I bought a Jalen Hurts and Devonta Smith jersey and. Ready, right. ready to go. Next, well, next generation. We've, we've successfully alienated all the Pittsburgh listeners. Uh, uh, Pittsburgh people probably don't care. They got their win against Buffalo. But any any Dallas Cowboys fans, we didn't want you to, as a listener anyway. Yeah, just kidding. True. You're allowed. All of our passwords. Actually, are... you know what? Just download. Don't listen. Just don't worry <laughs> about it. Subscribe and tune out. I like it. Yeah. Thanks um, for your nothingness. Yeah, Tony, that's good. What are we talking so, about today? Uh, we're going to be talking about kind of John's moving from his first deal to his second deal. I think that one of the biggest hurdles that people have is just kind of, you know, growing and not necessarily Mm -hmm. growing big. I think that once you have like a decent number of properties, it's significantly easier to just add another, but making that first step to the second place and that, that next substantial step towards financial independence through real estate. That's a kind of tough hurdle mentally mm-hmm. and sometimes financially for people. So over this episode and the next one, we'll talk a little bit about how, you know, we made those steps and then some advice for, for the listeners. Cool. I like it. Yeah. There you go. So I guess before, um, before we go into that second deal, John, maybe just like uh, we can go over a little recap of where where you are before you make that second step. Yeah. So I just moved across country at a small child and we just bought a duplex and the duplex uh, was a one bed, one bath underneath and a two bed, one bath on top. And it was pretty rough shape. We bought it for 80,000 bucks. The tenant actually upstairs died the day we closed. <laughs> not not our fault just well age and partied a little hard and uh, the tenant downstairs had moved out so we moved in and uh, I guess here we are perhaps at this phase um, uh, explaining to my wife that we're going to move into this place that we never intended to move into and we're going to fix it up and then we're going to uh, see where things go for our family so that's kind of our, our situation so did you stay in the one bedroom or did you move to the two bedroom or what was your living situation like for the kind of year after you moved into the deal? Yeah. So for us, uh, we really just both, both units are vacant now. So we just moved in the one that was more livable because we didn't particularly care. So that it was the one bed, but you know, it didn't matter. So we moved in the one bed, you know, it's carpeted and ugly, but it's completely functional. And the upstairs, there was a smoker in there. So had to remediate that place and bring it up to market. I mean, it was, it probably hadn't been touched in 15 years or something. You probably don't remember walking the place, Tony, but you walked the place. I so, do. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, basically that was a plan is, uh, you know, work on it in the morning, work a job at night or <laughs> in the day, and then go back, work on it at night, try and exercise now and then and spend time with my family. Uh, so it was you know, it was, it was a lot going on. Uh, yeah. But, uh, so you did that for like a, for how long? 
until you decided that you wanted to move on to another property? The goal was to do six months for each place and basically have it turned in a year and do almost all the work ourselves. So we pretty much hit that timeline, I would say. And then honestly, so we finished the top half, then we switch gears, we move up there and then we're fixing up the downstairs. I can't remember exactly how long it took, probably more than six months, but you know, something like six months. And then uh, basically just hit burnout at a certain point. And we were like, all right, let's contract some <laughs> of this stuff out. So, you know, we kept this super simple stuff for ourselves, painting walls. Um, but we uh, got a contractor to help us out, just like laying floor. So we ripped out the carpet. I ripped all the carpet out. Um, but we had them come in, like bang all the staples and the carpet pad out. And we had them lay the floor, I think, and lay trim. And then we, we did paint. And I think they helped us with the bathroom. So, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think exactly when that was. Um, I remember we actually finished the place and then we were like getting eager to um, move. And uh, we, we actually finished the rehab before we could find another place to move. So we got a little spoiled on this first deal, right? We got like two apartments for $80,000 uh purchase price so you know that really set our like <laughs> okay this is what a good deal is so anyway then we're on the market and we're basically waiting and i think around march so we bought that place i want to say in december and then take a full lap and then in march i think that's when we purchased the next place and we bought that for 155 and it was actually like walkable from the first place so that was yeah. a huge part of our motivation is we wanted all our properties to be ideally walkable. That's, that's kind of excessively small, but yeah, know, like I want to be able to like take steroids and then throw one of those vortex footballs and hit all my houses. <laughs> kind of thing. That well, was, there you that, go. That was the goal. You're uh, <laughs> you can throw those things pretty far. I don't know if you, you need to take steroids, but <laughs> yeah. preserve, preserve your body. All this work has beaten it up enough. Anyway. Yeah um so that's good so you probably when do you think so after a year basically that's whenever you started looking for a new place yeah i think mentally we were ready and then obviously like you know uh, objectively we were ready both places were fixed up we were happily living in the upstairs feeling like oh we could live here forever if we needed which is always the sign that it's time to go and then we had downstairs rented out to a single mother. She was a great tenant. So we had a good sense for that tenant and how to put a tenant in with that, that person that wouldn't disrupt that kind of living situation. Uh, we really value like a hands-off management style. And then, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of fatigue in doing this, right? So, yeah, you know, just making sure we didn't stack things too hard. And then I think from a money perspective, we burned things down a little bit, but I think by this time our money was good. So we, we actually didn't wind up refinancing this place. We started the conversations, but uh, we actually determined like, hey, we should just move out because basically this place was a home run deal. I mean, candidly, right? We didn't need to refinance it. Um, I mean, our PITI was like 600 and gross rents were going to be 15 or six, 1600, right? So it was kind of like- it wasn't like a very expensive renovation, right? Um, I think 40 all in for both places, top and bottom. Okay. 20, 20 pop. Um, and uh, 
I mean, so we were into it for 120, let's say. And I think we had it. I think we reappraised it at 150 or 160. I forget. And we just left the cash in. Um, I guess in, in retrospect, we probably should have pulled the cash out. Uh, but you know, so it is right. And, um, we didn't need it at the time. And now it's a great cash thing for us. Um, so yeah, that we were basically, we felt like we had enough. So enough for us for a down payment was going to be like 10% down somewhere. Um, and now, you know, I think we were like 40,000 bucks or something like that is what we were looking at. And, uh, yeah. So we, we had some shopping money and then we were in the market. We looked at some goofy properties <laughs> and then, there was this one down the street that had been up for 155 for a little while. And basically you were the one that was like, look, I know it's 155. These go for 200 if they're well done and you can walk to it. And like, there's only so many houses you can walk to. So like, you need to think about what good enough looks like. And uh, yeah, that, that was true. That and was that's like, kind of the, that's what I wanted to talk about next was just, so I think, you know, it's a good problem to have in a way, but sometimes whenever people have a very, whenever their first deal is like a very good deal, it's just something mm -hmm. that, you know, something that you read about on the internet, basically. I, I call them internet deals because they're the ones that everybody brags about on the internet that make people think that's the normal. Sure. Um, it, it kind of makes you, it can make someone a little bit too picky on their next deal because what i always talk about is whenever you're newer and especially if the concept's been reinforced to you by doing a deal that's like it you see yeah. people on the internet talk about all these home runs that they did well people don't talk about all the average deals that they did to reach <laughs> the level that they're at so it's like you know did you have any kind of process getting over that? Like, you know, I'm not just looking for home runs because I think sometimes if you only look for home runs, if you can execute it, great, but it'll hold you back a little bit because you'll spend so much time looking for something that you're not actually going to continue to do stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, part of it was we just had to move through it. It's the same we have in our household. So like I tried doing mail just super small mail, but I mean, my, my blast radius is so small. It's like, what, what are the odds of this working? Right. So it's, you can very quickly exhaust your entire audience. And then there's some places I saw that were dumpy, tried to contact them, you know? Um, and then we looked at a few places that were like cheap, whatever's. And I was like, Oh, can we like do a lock-in and like figure out how to Airbnb this? You know, we, we kind of walk the dog on things. And then at a certain point it was like, look, you know, at the end of the day, the appreciation is super valuable, right? So you want cash flow such that you're basically not losing money, putting in like one or 200 bucks, uh, like pulling in after all expenses, and then really let, let appreciation work for you uh, started to become something we were more comfortable with, right? Like let's not lose money, but we basically think of these houses as like college funds for the kids or something like that too. So I think just having a broader perspective, which actually did help from our first refinance as well. Right. So, you know, yeah, sure. This house throws off money and all that stuff, but like, I mean, it's going to take 10 years of cash flow to like kick off the equity that we just created <laughs> yeah. from this home improvement that we did. So, I mean, you know, essentially we have 
$40,000 in equity, uh, like net of all of our expenses in a year, right? That's very difficult to pull from rents. So, um, and then it's only going to appreciate from there. So, and then candidly, it was like a nicer part of the neighborhood, right? So you could see the other neighbors cared. You could see they were making improvements. Um, there was rentals nearby. We actually saw that other people had bought like five or six of these duplexes on this block. So clearly they felt a strong conviction. So th that really helped us just kind of get over it. And the other thing is like, look, this isn't a home run deal. Worst case scenario, we're going to do this for a year. And then we've learned our lesson and we're going to do something else. You know, mm -hmm. this is, it's just a year. Like you don't need to. Um, and I, and I do think, uh, particularly with real estate, just moving, like, uh, keeping your feet moving is super valuable, mm -hmm. right? It's, mm, I'm trying to think of how to describe this, but there's some businesses where you like, you can't do it. You have to like really pick your slot and go with real estate. It's just like, Hey man, get in the market, like get a couple properties and then like, don't screw it up for 10 years and then rip Van Winkle and boom, you're going to wake up and it's like, <laughs> Oh wow, this really worked out. You know, look, you know, if you did that in Detroit 20 years ago, I'm sorry to hear about that, but that's the exception, right? I mean, in general, the rule is like, this thing just works. So, and even uh, then, if you hung on to some of those properties, I feel yeah, like they're, they're probably rebounded. Real estate is definitely one of those things where I want to touch on one thing that you said about appreciation. So I find that if, if anybody's, you know, done a little bit of research, um, appreciation gets a little bit of a bad name. <laughs> on yeah. a lot of the internet forums, podcasts and stuff, they tell you to just go for cash flow. And that's that's very good advice for somebody that's new because you don't you don't want to encourage people to go after deals that are like you're losing three hundred dollars a month and you're just, mm -hmm. you know, sitting on it hoping it goes up in value. There have been lots of real estate collapses in history that are tied basically to that. Um, however, appreciation is still one of the most like far more powerful than cash flow as far as generating wealth, because yeah. we're not just talking about property value appreciation that stays trapped in the property until you sell or refinance. There's rent appreciation too. So if you're in a more decent area, like where John's properties are, those rents are going to keep going up over time, over time, over time. So, but your mortgage stays exactly the same. So your spread that you're making is going to keep going up just because the rents are going to continue to appreciate. And um, if you look historically, even when rents go down, they don't, they don't bottom out. It's, it's not really the same effect of house prices. Because yeah. whenever house prices go down, when the market tanks with residential real estate, usually lending tightens up and everything like that. So it's harder for people to buy a house anyway, and thus they're renting. So yeah. the, the negative effect on the rental prices is not going to be as bad as um, it would be on houses in like a declining market, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I think we looked at that too. Yeah, or, you know, we listened to that kind of thinking. It's like even during the recession, I think rents dipped like 20% at the worst, whereas housing pr purchase prices dipped about 50%. So, And it really is one of those businesses where if you just kind of don't screw it up yeah. in 10, 10, 15, 20 years, you're, you're going to be fine.
and you use yeah. the reference of of Detroit and people that might have got screwed, but it's like, hey, even them, if they would have just kept it going for long enough, it it might not have been a great return, but they at least would have been made whole again. So as long as you don't as long as you don't do something very stupid from the beginning, it's hard to make it a a bad investment, so to speak. Yeah, I agree. And also yeah. there's like there's a Nashville for every Detroit. You know what I mean? Like if you bought in Nashville 10 years ago, you're a genius now. You know what yeah. I mean? So and I've I'm always I've always been really hesitant. Uh, I was originally really hesitant to say that. Like if you just don't if you just don't do something really dumb, it's hard to screw it up because it seems so like late night I mean, salesman. It's not SpaceX. You're not like yeah. building some reusable rocket that has to go to the moon and back, right? It's been done yeah. thousands of times by thousands of people to build wealth. And mm-hmm. every every older real estate investor that I talk to or people that more experienced, I guess, people have been doing it for 20, 30 years, something like that. They all say the same thing. Like if you ask them for advice, they'll all say, I wish I would have kept more and sold less. Oh, interesting. I haven't yeah. had those conversations. Every Pretty much everybody says like, you know, they wish they would have just held on to more properties because they see what they're worth now. <laughs> and that's been more or less universal advice from from everybody. That's funny. Um, so that's cool. So I guess, um, you know, so you house hacked the second one, right? So you mm-hmm. moved into one of the units. Um, talk a little bit about kind of the, the process again, like moving and then shifting finding a new tenant was this place occupied how did it how did it work out no this place was um empty um the landlord i think had evicted the tenants a tree fell on the power line and i think uh he just didn't fix it okay (laughs) that that led to a falling out of the tenants um and uh so we could just move in so that was simple um and we we did it was move in ready uh ugly but functional. And then we started a process of renting out the place we just moved out of and uh, identifying some like very simple remediations to the unit we lived in because it was a duplex and the other side was rented out. So at first my, my wife wanted to kick that tenant out and I said, no, we're not going to do that because candidly we didn't have enough money to fix up both sides. So why bother? Uh, you know, he seemed like a nice enough guy. You know, you never know exactly what you're going to get, hmm. but he seemed, uh, you know, he had a job. He had, you know, so anyway. Um, so yeah. So then we're, um, I mean, we're just kind of doing things slowly in the house, if that makes sense. It was a little trickier with this one. You know, last one we could just kind of move around in the house and fix things up. We had a little flexibility buffer. This one we're in it, uh, and we have a one and a half year old at this point or something. So. It's like painting a wall with a one and a half year old around. Good luck. But, <laughs> you know, we figured it out. And um, we also just did, we kind of just like made a couple of things easier on ourselves. So we just reglazed the bathroom, for example. I mean, it's like, you know, it takes two days, 2000 bucks, and it just makes it sparkling white and new. You know, very simple. You know, like you can paint the bathroom with a kid or we left carpet upstairs. We didn't like, you know, put, uh, you know, vinyl plank floor everywhere. Uh, we, we did it on the lower level, but we just left the carpet upstairs, you know, just little things that made it easier to um, like, you can fix the place up in like two or three days. Right. So you just go on, send my wife out to her mother's for a weekend. And, 
And then we're just fixing things up. You know, of course, things pop up. There's like a raccoon in the attic that chews a hole through the roof to get out. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's actually probably some good lessons there about, uh, you know, they told us there was a raccoon and that it had been removed. Uh, but who cares what they say? <laughs> right. So we should have obviously gone in and like not trusted that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that you know, in some ways it was a very simple process. Right. I mean, it's very direct. It's like, OK, this stuff is ugly, substandard make it better. Don't spend too much money. Well, you and took it, what you learned from the first one. Yeah. And you realized that you made the first one more work than maybe it needed to be. I did things the hard way. I, I don't think you can do things the easy way the first time anyway. It's, it's hard to. <laughs> yeah. But um, I mean, if you I, get, you don't get the same lessons out of it either. So yeah, I mean, that. any purchase over like three or $4,000, I would have talked to you about first if I was going to do things over. Right. So mm-hmm. and when I say you, I mean, somebody who's done this before and has a little experience, you know, so just talk to them first and then get their, get their opinion on it. Like, yeah, that's worth it. No, that's not worth it. And then it, you can still ignore them, but yeah, yeah you can do whatever like, no. you want with the advice. I mean, it's yeah. just one person's opinion, but it's like, it is useful to talk to somebody and say, or, or a lot of times that I find with customers um, is like, they'll go out and they might just find a contractor to do like a roof or a plumbing job or whatever. And then they'll tell me about it. They're like, I'll just be in conversation with them and say, Oh yeah, it cost me like $5,000 to redo that tub. And I'm like, Hey man, you gotta like call me whenever you do this stuff. I know that, that like I got paid, I'm done, but my, I'm, I still am cool with you. Like we can still talk. Like, let me know whenever you have a job coming up and I'll give you a contractor to talk to or tell you if the price is appropriate yeah. based on my experience or whatever. So having somebody to bounce ideas off of, whether that's your agent or your property manager or somebody, a friend, a colleague or whatever, that's also why um, you touched on earlier kind of keeping in the market and keeping doing things is useful. And part mm-hmm. of the, even if they're not all home runs, it's useful because you build relationships and you are doing things. So you're talking to people, you're talking yeah. to people doing the same thing as you, you're talking to other contractors, you're talking to all these different people, you're building those relationships, but you're only going to do that by doing like, by it's just, true. it's useful at the beginning to show up to a networking event and like meet people. And that's cool. But if you have nothing substantial to talk about those people with, like in the thing that brought you together in the first place, which is real estate, you have nothing to build a relationship with. So if you're not doing deals, there's no reason to be building relation, you know, <laughs> relationships. Yeah, people want to be around dynamic, dynamic, interesting people, right? And that's basically from like the peer group and also contractors. I mean, what you said is super true. And I mean, the crust builds up really fast. If you, you know, now that we have six plus units yeah unfortunately we're in freaking contact with our contractors so i don't need to do as many deals but yeah early on when we only had the two properties yeah i mean uh you know i mean right now i'm like buds with some of the contractors almost because i'm talking to them more often than sometimes i talk to like my wife third and family members (laughs) fortunately not that i uh I've taken I've taken that out. But yeah, I've talked yeah. to our electrician on this one project probably some 50 or 60 times. But you know, that's what builds the relationship because now 
if I have something small that I need done, he'll yeah. drop something else if it's an emergency for me and go do my my job for me. So same thing with peers. Like, yeah. you know, if you if you go out and make connections with other real estate investors as as you all grow, like I have a number of real estate investors and people that I meet up with regularly that, you know, we go have lunch or coffee or whatever. I have some people that I like, you know, have more friendships with now too. stuff, stuff like that. Um, but and there's a real frenemy dynamic too, with like the RE peers. But if you're doing like what we're doing where, Hey, I only buy in this area and I can only buy like once a year because of the loan style we do. You know, once you buy your place and you know these, you could talk about your deal and you can even say, well, I, you know, I saw whatever, one, two, three Sesame Street over in XYZ neighborhood, you know, neighborhood park neighborhood. That and happens it, a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's super fair because they're not like, well, why didn't you buy it? It's like, I, I didn't buy it because I can't buy it. Like I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it's a good social outlet and that and it goes vice versa. Right. So then, you know, when you're looking and they're tied up and handcuffed, and you can actually listen to them and not wonder, hmm, why, why would this person tell me about this? Right. It becomes yeah. much more of a, uh, I don't know what's the word, you know, more natural supportive environment. So it's good. that's exactly what it is. Like the you know, deal finding, you know, networking for deal finding is like kind of, kind of what you're getting at just using, you know, talking back and forth. I, same thing happens to me a lot where I will get a property and somebody will be like, well, why didn't you buy it? If you're telling me about it. And then I'm like, look, I just, it doesn't fit what I'm looking to do. I mean, you know, yeah. we have a very particular set of things that we're looking for when we buy properties and this one's not a bad deal. It just didn't fit what we do. Yeah. Um, Maybe this is a tangent we, and we should probably wrap this up. But the, the other thing I did do is I talked to wholesalers before I bought. And I have to say for me at this phase of where we were, both money wise and experience and interest wise, it just was not a good fit. Um, and I'm sure there are places where it is a good fit, but I think that was kind of, I'm not sure you could have convinced me it wasn't worth it, but you know, very quickly I was like, okay, I mean, just the, the amount of deal pressure, I have to move my family into this, where the deals are. I was just like, mm, this is not a good fit for me. There's a lot of um, sticky subjects and, and I don't know how it really works outside of Pittsburgh because I've never bought, I've never bought a property outside of Pittsburgh, so I don't yeah. know, but I know at least the wholesalers here, if you're buying it to move into, or even if you're somewhat inexperienced, it's not a straightforward process. It's not like you have a timeline, you have an inspection, you can negotiate on the inspection, you can get a loan, you can go through all these steps. Usually you go under contract, you put a non-refundable deposit down. So already you're out five thousand dollars you may have only seen the property for 15 minutes yeah so there's that then they're not normally going to want like an fha loan or an owner occupant type loan or anything like that they're just going to want cash or something like cash hard money or whatever so right then you're gonna have to get a hard money loan and then if you're going to own or occupy and you don't have much money, you're going to have to hope you can refinance it to an FHA within a year or FHA or some other owner occupant thing. And then on top of that, there's no inspections or anything. You can bring a contractor th- through usually, but they're not. I've only worked on one wholesale deal ever where they said it's okay to get a formal home inspection. 
but they weren't negotiating. So it didn't, didn't matter after that. And the yeah. process is just way more. I, don't know. Was, I was just, I mean, it was super, you know, it kind of speaks to like, I was spoiled by this deal. I wanted another deal. I was looking to get deals. I was sending mail, talking to wholesalers. And the truth is like, even if I got one of those, it would have been too much for me at this point. You know, I, I think now that we've done about six units, we have a strong rapport with our contractors. Like even right now, we have good situations, but the contractor market is actually pretty tough. I don't know if I would do a wholesale deal, even now with the level of experience we have, just because I don't feel like I have a contractor lined up. So I, I would really want my team like super dialed in before I even explored any of that stuff. So, I mean, just trying to help the listener and thinking about like, okay, so what does this look like? You know, or maybe they're even in their first deal thinking, well, wholesaling would be nice. I, you know, I want to save money. It's just, um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with just like starting, just start, take the easy yeah. path. Like you don't need to like, yeah, crack this grand slam out of the gates. And if you do need to crack the grand slam out of the gates, just be ready to be like sweating. You know, it's going <laughs> to, your stomach is going to be like, God, I need more money. Maybe I should wait tables at night. You know, it's not going to be yeah. fun. And so. just that's, that's a good point to think about. Cause it's like, just continuing to take the next step mm -hmm. and it comes up and not making it hard on yourself. That's, what's going to build wealth. I mean, mm -hmm. especially if you're working a job, you have income coming in. This is like something that you're doing on the side. Mm -hmm. It's like just chase after solid deals. Yeah. Not necessarily everything. Not everything has to be like a grand slam. Yeah. So, well, we're going pretty long. So yeah, let's wrap this one up. But yeah, I mean, that, that was our deal. And if I had to summarize it, you know, we just looked in the neighborhood, found a, a reasonable option and just kind of did the very simple steps of like, you know, made an offer, accepted, negotiated, moved in and repeated the playbook and minimized the mistakes from deal one. You know, is it a life changing amount of money? Not yet. But it probably will be actually in a couple of years. <laughs> I think the house, the house is probably worth two hundred and twenty now, but a one fifty five. Yeah. So, I mean, that's good. Cool. All right. Well, um, I guess we can send everybody off then. Move yeah. into the move into the <laughs> second second part here, which will be yeah, out so, next next week for all of you guys. Yeah. So if you're enjoying this, let us know. Uh, comment on the YouTube if you're on YouTube and. Um, like subscribe for the uh, podcast as well. And then if you have questions, actually we've been answering questions for people calling uh, 412-212-8366. If you don't want to be on air, that's fine too. You can request that in the voicemail. And uh, I guess Tony, you want to give them a holler where you're at? Yeah. At 412 agent. You can find me as Anthony Angotti online or Tony Angotti, one or the other. Um, Bigger Pockets, Facebook, et cetera. But 412 Agents is kind of my moniker on the internet. So you'll find most of my stuff that way. All right. Awesome. All right. So next episode, we're going to talk the same story, but Tony, Tony's second deal. Cool.